open up our Bibles to the Word of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10, and we'll read the whole of that chapter of the Word of God. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for in samples and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, standeth, take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel after the flesh are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then, that the idol is anything, or, the, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. You cannot eat, drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own but every man another's wealth. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no question for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. 
If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you eat, asking no question for conscience sake. But if any man say unto you, This is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat, eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of, for that for which I give thanks? Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. That's why we read the Word of God, and it's on the basis of that passage of Scripture, and you'll notice especially on the basis of verse 31 of that chapter, we have the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism this morning in Lord's Day 47. Lord's Day 47 is part of the section of the Catechism that deals with the explanation of the Lord's Prayer. And the question is this, which is the first petition? The answer, hallowed be thy name, that is, Grant us first rightly to know Thee, and to sanctify, glorify, and praise Thee in all Thy works, in which Thy power, wisdom, goodness, justice, mercy, and truth are clearly displayed. And further also, that we may so order and direct our whole lives, our thoughts, words, and actions, that Thy name may never be blasphemed, but rather honored and praised on our account. When you and I pray to God, beloved, what is it that ought to be our first request to God in prayer, our first petition? And I don't mean simply first in number, but first in priority. First in priority in prayer because it is the most important thing to us in prayer on account of the fact that it is the most important thing to us in our lives. Quite often in our prayers, the priority that we have is ourselves, our circumstances, our needs, our personal desires to God. And while it is not wrong for us to pray for those things, the Lord Jesus Christ teaches us in the Lord's Prayer, this must be the priority in prayer. This petition, hallowed be thy name, the name of God. This is taught 
as I said, by our Lord Jesus Christ in the Lord's Prayer. And this is taught us by means of the order of the petitions in the Lord's Prayer. And that order of the petitions in the Lord's Prayer is not simply a random order that Christ gives us, so that this is first and then a prayer concerning God's will is second, a prayer concerning God's kingdom is third, and then so on. But rather, the Lord Jesus Christ, by giving us the order of these petitions in the Lord's Prayer, is setting before us an order of priority. An order of priority. The priority in prayer may not be ourselves. The priority in prayer may not be that prayer is all about and only about and or at least almost only about our needs, both physical and spiritual, and that we are focused on bringing those to God. But the first priority must be God. God. The first three petitions concern God, God's name, God's kingdom, God's will. And the first of those three petitions concerns God's name, which means it is a petition that concerns God himself. His name refers to God. His name represents God. And that the petition is that God's name be hallowed, that God himself be hallowed, that is, that God be glorified by us. When that's first, when that's the priority in prayer, then that sets the tone, you would say, for the rest of the prayer. That sets the tone for the rest of the petitions that we bring to God in prayer. The priority is God. The priority is that God be glorified. And that determines whatever else we ask of God in our prayers to him. And that's true of the child of God because for the believer, God is the priority in your life. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Consider then with me praying that God be glorified. And we look at our desire to glorify him, our need of knowledge, and our request for grace. The words of this petition, hallowed be thy name, we must understand are words that express a request that we bring to God. This is a petition, it's not just a statement of fact. And when we pray this petition, we show that it is our desire that we actively glorify God in our lives. It is our desire that God be glorified. As the Catechism puts it, 
grant us, that is, we're asking God to give us something so that we sanctify, glorify, and praise Thee, God. The child of God who prays this petition, therefore, prays it from the perspective of admitting that he does not deserve any glory himself nor that any man deserves any glory. Everyone on earth is simply an insignificant creature. Everyone upon this earth is simply an insignificant speck of dust in comparison to God. No matter how strong or healthy or successful you may be in life, you're simply dirt in comparison to God. Does dirt deserve to be glorified and praised? No matter how wise and kind and loving and faithful you might be as a husband or as a parent or as a wife or as a fellow believer to your other fellow believers, you're still nothing of yourself, and none of that is produced by yourself. Does someone who is nothing deserve to be glorified, honored, and praised? And no matter how many commands of God you begin to keep in this life, begin to keep, because that's all that we can do, by God's grace. No matter how many commands you begin to keep in this life, you taint every good work with your own sins. Does a sinner deserve to be glorified and honored and praised? The perspective of the believer who prays this petition is, no glory for me, all the glory for God. No praise for me. Let God be praised. Let God be praised. And even in the seemingly mundane activities of my earthly life, when I eat and when I drink and when I work and when I play and in whatsoever other earthly activities I am involved in this life, let God be praised for these things and through these things. Not man. Not man be praised because man supposedly has provided himself with all of this food that he eats and that he drinks. Not man praised because man supposedly is such a good and a hard worker not man praised because when he plays, he plays well and he has great skills in athletics and sport. But let God be praised because God alone deserves to be praised. As Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24 state it, Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. 
Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. So that, first of all, is what we express in this petition. That God would give us the grace to acknowledge God. To acknowledge God's hand in all things. And to praise God for everything. Let God be praised. you notice, beloved, the Catechism also says this about God being glorified. Not only that he be glorified by us through what we have just described, but also that he be glorified because of us. We are to be instruments in bringing not shame to God, and not shame to the name of God, but praise and glory to God, instruments of praise to Him. Notice how the Catechism says that, and further also, that we may so order and direct our whole lives, our thoughts, words, and actions, that Thy name may never be blasphemed, but rather honored and praised on our account. God honored and God praised on our account. What stands behind that, beloved, is that the ungodly and unbelievers in this world are keeping an eye on you and me. They're watching. They're watching us. And they are very interested in finding reason to criticize not merely the people of God, but to criticize God himself. And they're ready to do so when they see in the lives of those who say, we are the people of God. And they see in the lives of those who say that, sins and inconsistencies. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for sins in the lives of the church and those who confess the name of Christ. They're looking for the sin of fornication in our lives. They're looking for the sin of the use of drugs in the lives of the young people in the church. They're looking for the sin of pride in God's people. They're looking for the sin of cursing, the sin of hatred, the sin of slander. They're looking. And they're very quick and eager to spot inconsistency in the life of the child of God. These people claim to be godly. They say they are Christians. They claim to abide by the word of God, the Bible, 
But look at them. Look how they live. Look at the things they do. Look at the things they say. And they notice our inconsistency. And then they are ready to blaspheme God himself. What sort of God is he if this is how his people live? What sort of God is he if he is not able with his mighty power, which they say he has, to stop them from doing these kinds of things? You all know very well that's what the ungodly did when David committed public sin. He committed the sin with Bathsheba, committed adultery with her. And then he tried to cover up his sin by ordering that Uriah the Hittite, her husband, should come home and spend some nights with her to cover up the sin of David. That didn't work. So then he committed the sin of murder and ordered that Uriah be put on the front lines of the battle and that others withdraw back from those front lines and Uriah would be killed by the enemy. God sent Nathan, the prophet, to confront David about these sins. And David was brought to repentance for these sins. And God was gracious to David. And David was forgiven by God for these sins. But the word of God says in 2 Samuel 12, verse 14, this concerning those sins that David committed, by this deed, thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of God to blaspheme. The ungodly were watching. The ungodly learned what David had done. The ungodly were aware of the sins that he had committed, and they responded by blaspheming David's God. Who is this God? whose people act contrary to his laws and commit adultery and murder. The enemy blasphemed God. And that's what they do when they observe sins and inconsistencies in our lives today. We bring shame on the name of God. Instead of God being glorified on account of us, God is blasphemed on account of us. Scripture gives a number of specific examples of that. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1 is one of those examples. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And so those who are servants, those who are employees working for an employer must have a proper attitude and a proper behavior 
in work, because if they don't, the doctrine and name of God will be blasphemed. Read of that again in Titus chapter 2, verse 5. Beginning with verse 4, Titus 2, verse 4, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So that when the people of God fail, God's name is blasphemed. So again, in praying this first petition, we express our concern and our desire that we not be the occasion for God to be blasphemed. The child of God by this petition is saying, I desire to live in such a way that the ungodly see in me not sins, but godliness, not hatred for my neighbor, but love for my neighbor. Not worldliness, but godly spirituality in my life. Not a life characterized by pursuing the lusts of the flesh, but a life that expresses my love for God and for the things of God. So they have, the ungodly have no basis to attack God on my account. But in fact, if anything at all, the opposite. Ye are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's the desire of the child of God to praise this petition. And then notice, beloved, the Catechism makes a very interesting point when it says that in this petition we are asking that God would grant us first rightly to know him. Catechism is telling us there that in order for us to glorify God in our lives, and in order for us to be instruments of God being glorified on our account, we need to know God and to know God rightly. You may ask, well, what does knowing God in all his works as the Catechism says, what does knowing God in all his works have to do with glorifying God? And the answer is simply this. When you know God in his works, you know God by his works, you know God by means of the works that God does, and then you will realize and you will be reminded again and again by that that God alone deserves to be glorified and praised. 
God's works are a means of making clear to us that he is worthy of praise. And so we must observe the works of God, and we're asking God to give us grace to do that very thing, observe the works of God, and when we observe the works of God, we see his power, we see his wisdom, the catechism says, we see his goodness, we see his justice, we see his mercy in and in his works, the works of his hands. We see his truth in the works that he does. And we realize he should be praised for that. No one else should be praised for that because no one else has such power and wisdom and goodness and justice and mercy and truth. God alone. And so we must have the right knowledge of God. The right knowledge of God in all his works. Consider, first of all, God's work of creation. Nothing existed from all eternity, nothing except God. And now you and I live in a, a great, a beautiful, a marvelous creation because of the work of God. We live in a massive universe. Yes, the universe God created is finite. There is a limit to it. There is an end to it. But that's way beyond our ability to reach. And that's even beyond our ability to comprehend. That's how great and expansive is the universe that God has created. And it's filled with wonders. Just think of the intricate details of your own human body. What great wisdom stood behind that work of creating you as a man or as a woman or as a child. And God created it all. He created it all simply by speaking and we see all that, we ponder all that and we can only say what great power God has and what great wisdom God has in creating this universe and in creating me. Article 2 of the Belgian Confession of Faith, expressing very clearly what Romans 1 verse 20 teaches, puts it this way. Creation is before our eyes as a most elegant book, wherein all creatures, great and small, are as so many characters leading us to contemplate the invisible things of God, namely his power and divinity. It's very well stated. Creation is a most elegant book, a well-designed and a well-written book, you could say, the creation is. A book when we read, we learn from. And so we should be reading 
the book of creation, so to speak, the creation itself, studying the creation, as you children no doubt do in school, learning about things in God's creation, learning about things that God has made, learning about how they work, and seeing in all of our study of the creation what the creation reveals to us about God. Every creature reveals the wisdom of God and the power of God, and every creature declares to us God deserves the praise for designing and making us to be what we are. Consider, secondly, God's work of providence. God preserves and God governs the world that he made. And those works of God's preservation and government of this world certainly show his power too. He is such an almighty God that he can care for every little creature in his creation, preserve it, rule it, direct it. But his work of providence also manifests his goodness. That's another word mentioned in the Lord's day, the goodness of God displayed in his works. This goodness of God, God made the world, but he did not abandon the world that he made. He continues to care for the creation and to care for all the creatures that he put in this creation. And that's something that we notice every day of our lives, if we take the time to do so. The works of God's providence are all around us in the creation. We have a new day today. Why? Snow fell yesterday. Why? The sun and the clouds and the rain and the cold surround us in this creation. Why? You and I are alive this morning. Why? We have food to eat today. Why? We're able to worship God in his house today. Why? Because God does all these things. His providence declares he is God, he is sovereign, he is powerful, he is mighty, he is good in caring for his creation, and therefore he deserves to be glorified. Let God be praised by us. And then consider this part of God's providence too, beloved, when God sends affliction. The Catechism says that we are to praise God in all his work. All his works. Not only in health, but also in sickness. Not only when we experience success, but also failure. And there are times, those times in our life, when 
we experience sickness or failure or disappointment or trouble, that it is especially difficult to praise and to glorify God at such a time. Because his ways are different from our ways and his thoughts are different from our thoughts. And what he brings upon us is very different from what we would prefer and what we would desire to have in our lives. But even then, those works show that God deserves to be praised, to be glorified. He deserves to be glorified because those works show the wisdom of God, a wise God who has made a perfect plan and who now in his sovereign providence of all things is executing his counsel and guiding us by his counsel in order to bring us one day to glory. He is wise. And a plan or, or, an ex, or circumstances in life that demonstrate to us the power of God the power of God that we confess that he is the God who is sovereignly averting all evil in our lives or turning all evil to our profit. God is doing that in his providence. And a God who is merciful too. He brings troubles upon us, but he certainly does not bring upon us all the trouble that we deserve to receive. And he is merciful to us when he brings troubles upon us because his bringing those things upon us are not a punishment for our sin. He punished Christ for our sin. He's merciful. He is not destroying us by the afflictions he sent. God deserves to be praised even then, even then. And consider thirdly God's work of salvation, God's greatest work, God redeeming to himself what you and I and all mankind and what we and Adam ruined by our sin against God. And God in that work giving his own son and in that work of giving his son, punishing his son for our sins and then raising his son from the dead again. And in raising him from the dead, he raised him for our justification. He raised him from the dead so that we might be righteous in the eyes of God. He raised his son from the dead so that we might be forgiven all our sins and clothed with that righteousness of Christ in the sight of God now already and forever. Those are works of God. Those are works of God that display his justice. A just God who deals with sin and who punishes sin. Those are works of God that display his power. The almighty God, able to take care of the sins of the innumerable host of the elect of God from Adam to the end of time. 
And those are works of God that display his mercy, that he would do that, that he would give his own son for undeserving sinners such as you and me. We see those works of God too. And we must look at that and observe that. Of course, we don't see the Lord Jesus Christ hanging on a cross. We were not there when he was crucified. But we can see his work of salvation. And every one of us can see that work of salvation because we can see and observe that work of salvation as God is performing that work inside each of us. Why do you have faith? Why do you believe? Why do you love God? Why do you confess your sin? Why is your life different from the life of your ungodly neighbor? Why do you worship God on the Lord's Day? Why do you have hope in your heart that is an anchor for your soul in the midst of the most terrible trials and sufferings of life? Because God is at work. And you see that work of God, you observe his mighty work in yourself personally because you experience that work of God. And that's a work of God as you see it, that is, as you experience it, that shows he must be glorified. This is his work in me. I didn't do it. I didn't do any of it in myself. And no other person did it in me or for me. No human deserves glory for this. God did it. Let God be praised for it. Praise him for his power. Praise him for his wisdom. Praise him for his goodness. And praise him for his justice and mercy. Especially his mercy. That he would do all of that to and for and in a sinner <coughs> such as me. Let God be praised for it. For us to do so, we need grace. That's exactly why Christ teaches us to have this petition in prayer. We need grace. We need the Spirit in us so that we glorify God and not ourselves. And we need to pray this petition, and we do pray this petition because we realize that we don't have the desire 
of ourselves. We don't have the ability of ourselves to glorify God. We don't. It is not easy for us to glorify God. It is not easy for us to live with this as our priority in life. In fact, it is impossible for us. And it's impossible for us because by nature, that's not what we want to do. By nature, what do we want to do? We want to say this, Hallowed be my name. Let me be glorified. I want to be recognized. I I want to be praised. Let people praise and honor me. That's what we naturally want. And isn't that true of you also as children? You children here? Don't you love it when you get praised? When you get praised for your work, when you get praised for your grades in school, don't you love it when you're praised for your accomplishments? Don't you love it when you're praised for your sports skills or your musical abilities? We want to be praised ourselves. And don't get me wrong, beloved, it's not wrong to encourage and not wrong to be encouraged, not wrong to give encouragement to our children and to each other and not wrong to receive that encouragement, but who are we to receive the praise, the honor, and the glory for all these things? I am what I am. I do what I do, the child of God says and must confess, only by the power of the grace of God in me. I don't deserve to be praised. God does. And so we pray that God would give us the grace to want to praise God and the ability to do so. And for that, we need the Spirit to work in us to make us realize over and over again in our lives that God alone deserves to be glorified. The Spirit to make us ponder the works of God. We can be sometimes just rather blasé about the works of God in creation the works of God in providence, and the works of God in salvation. Hardly stop to take notice of that. But the Catechism says that is the means that God is pleased to use to bring us to contemplate the fact that God deserves to be glorified. We need the Spirit to make us, therefore, ponder the works of God in the creation and the works of God in providence, and the works of God in salvation, so that we see in them his wisdom, and his power, and his goodness, and his justice, and his mercy, and his truth. The God of truth, who is faithful to his word, 
and faithful to his promises. And especially that the Spirit would lead us to consider God's work of salvation, to ponder, to meditate upon that work of salvation that we see in ourselves personally. What is God doing in me? What do I see that God has done in me? He deserves to be praised for it, glorified for his perfect love and his boundless mercy to a sinner such as me and his immeasurable goodness to one who deserves nothing at all. And then we are led to say, I don't deserve any praise. I'm a sinner. And all of my works, my best works, are tainted with sin. I am nothing of myself. I am dependent on God for everything. So God must be praised. And God ought to be praised. And how can I not praise him when personally I see and I experience his grace and power and mercy and love toward me and in my life. So this needs, beloved, to be our prayer, our priority in prayer. A petition we often pray, and something that we contemplate, meditate upon, and think about more than we perhaps do. The priority in every prayer because this is the priority in the life of the child of God, by the grace of God, whether therefore we eat or drink, whatsoever we do, we do all to the glory of God, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory and honor and praise. May God, by his Spirit, so direct us as a thankful people of God. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy word, and we thank thee for thy work, thy work of grace and salvation, and all of thy works in which we see thy power and wisdom and goodness and justice and mercy and truth. Thankful that we may be instructed concerning the praise that we ought to give to thee in thankfulness. Fill us with thy spirit so that we live lives that express that praise and thanksgiving unto thee. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.